This is the Wellness for Vets podcast, providing information and resources to improve the wellness of the men and women serving our nation and the first responders who are serving their communities. We'll talk about exercise, nutrition, lifestyle, and alternative practices and emerging therapies for the mind, body, and spirit. Welcome to another episode of the Wellness for Vets podcast. Uh, today, we're, we're going to do sort of a follow-up on plant medicine from a couple weeks ago uh, and talk about some other, some other stuff, some uh, trauma treatment. Before I begin, I would like to remind everybody the website is up and running at wellnessforvets.info. It's coming along with some blog articles, links to the different podcast shows, um, working on some references that we're going to be dropping on there soon. I got to tell you, it's an exciting day for me because it's my first interview uh, that I get to wear my new hat that one of my old teammates from uh, the old days of Iraq sent me. So I'm, I'm rocking as I post pictures on Instagram and stuff. I'll be rocking a new ball cap. And I also have this thing on. It's called an Apollo, which uh, if you're not familiar with it, it, it vibrates and apparently somehow stimulates or regulates your nervous system. So I was, I was feeling a little bit sluggish before we came on the air here. And now I'm feeling pretty good, but that also could be from an, an adrenaline dump I had because I forgot to do a very important thing for my dinner tonight. And I had to rush downstairs and get it all set up before we got on the air. But enough about that nonsense. Uh, today we have with us Jesse Gould. Uh, and he is yeah. with an organization, um, Heroic Hearts, which helps uh, veterans kind of seek out alternative treatments for whatever issues that they're dealing with. And, and I'm really going to let him get into the nuts and bolts about that. So I'm just going to do a very simple hello, Jesse, and welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Great to be here. Great to be talking to you. Uh, so looking at your website, um, if you wouldn't mind, just if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. And then uh, like I had a quick conversation with before we went quote unquote live here. Um, just tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll just jump right into the organization and uh, see what path that takes us down. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. So I'm Jesse Gould. Uh, I was an army ranger for a number of years, which included some combat deployments to Afghanistan, uh, have a background in, in finance and economics. Uh, when I, when I left, uh, the military, I try to, you know, go back into civilian life and try to tackle it as, as well as I could. And so that found me into uh, corporate finance. Uh, but around the same sort of time, some issues that I had been ignoring or didn't necessarily know were there started really coming up. You know, there was that contrast between the high paced ranger life to corporate finance, I think just put a lot of things in screeching halt. And so kind of have to come to terms with, with some, some issues. Uh, and so the issues for me were, you know, just a growing level of depression, anxiety, um, just general unhappiness with life, uh, dealing with a lot of it through overconsumption of, of alcohol and just trying to ignore it. And no matter what I did, no matter what I, you know, tried to pursue, uh, it was just a stark cloud that was around me and I couldn't shake it. Um, and so like many other veterans, I tried to seek help through the mental health department at the VA, uh, unfortunately the one in my area was of, of pretty little help. Uh, and I was just essentially left with 
the, the, the idea that I just had to figure this out for myself. Um, fortunately I had that internal guide that was just saying, Hey, you know, you're, you're going down a wrong path. And if you continue going down this wrong path, it's, it's not going to lead to good things. And so, you know, I had that really, that, that, that self-reflective moment of like, okay, well, what, what can I do? What do I need to do? Because I know where I'm at is, is not good. Um, and around that same time, I heard about the substance called ayahuasca, which was unfamiliar to me as I'm sure it's unfamiliar to many of the people listening. Uh, but you know, it intrigued me just kind of more as a, a casual intrigue. I came from a background of, you know, sort of the dare generation of just say no to drugs. And so psychedelics, especially, and even cannabis were not of interest to me and never really used it. Uh, but like I said, at that time I, I came to this where I was just at a necessity and I read about ayahuasca. There's a lot of people claiming all sorts of different things. And, you know, I took that leap of faith, uh, for some reason it, it planted a seed in my head and was like, all right, well, let's, let's give this a shot as crazy as that sounds. And so for people that aren't, aren't, uh, familiar, ayahuasca is, uh, the combination of two plants that are brewed together. Uh, they form like a, a tea like substance. Uh, it, it stems from the, the South America, the, the Amazon region, uh, been used by indigenous tribes there for millennia for religious practices, cultural practices, but also for, for healing, uh, mental and, and physical traumas within the tribe, keeping them healthy, keeping everybody on the same sort of page. Uh, so when I went, uh, went through a few ceremonies, it was pretty tough. Uh, but I came out of it definitely changed um, a lot of the issues that were were bothering me. It wasn't an immediate sort of thing, but they they I definitely got a, a handle on it. It gave me some tools to to get around it. And then I saw all these amazing stories of other people around me of it really relieving their depression, their anxiety. Um, and it was just at that time that that was the inspiration for Heroic Hearts Project because, you know, even even though there's little but growing scientific evidence, uh, there was just enough anecdotal uh, and what scientific evidence there was there that it's like, hey, this deserves to be on the radar of more people. Uh, even if even if it can only help a couple of people, even if it's not widely uh, beneficial. Uh, that people should at least deserve to know about this. So if there's other vets that are in a similar way of life that I was, or even worse, that they know that there is hope that there are other alternatives out there that deserve us looking into. And so that's how we established the nonprofit. And since then, fortunately, we've had some pretty amazing results across the board. Yeah. <clears throat> and I, I know it can be tough. I mean, especially, not just be military, but the, the units that you're used to working in. I mean, it, I, I've worked with Rangers in the past and uh, definitely a very high speed op tempo and, and not easy to transition out of. So, and how did you sort of, was there a key event that happened that you decided, Hey, I need to go a different direction or was it just a, a snowball effect of other things? Yeah, I think it's just the the buildup of just, you know, one of those like Sundays, I was probably hung over or something like that and just had that like, what, where is my life? What am I doing right now? You know, um, just because, you know, the next day I was regretting going to work. Uh, the Even though I was like hung over, it wasn't like I, I didn't have fun the, the previous day. I didn't, I wasn't in a relationship. It was just like, just one of those days where you just 
looking at yourself of like, what, what, what are we doing here? Like what's going on and why, especially, um, I think coming from that, a lot of military people experience this is, you know, you're at your peak fitness, you're, you feel unstoppable. You feel like you can take on the world. And then, you know, especially with the, the aid of depression, when you, get on the tail end and you start putting on weight and you're less physically fit. And, you know, you find yourself in these situations, you're like, what happened here? You know? And I, th- I think it was just that, that just finally got to me. Yeah. I went through something similar myself. Um, so tell us about the organization. I know you have uh, about six people on the staff. You, you got inspired by your journey with ayahuasca yeah of course i mean it was brick by brick you know at first it was sort of that self-doubt that i think comes into forming any nonprofit or, or business of i just and also incorporating this of like did i just experience this am i crazy like what, what what's going on here uh but as I said, just the lasting results, the, the, the noted changes in my own life and just how I reacted to it and not just on a, on a therapy side, but also potentially physically of just how things, um, that used to stimulate anxiety inside of me just no longer did it. I no longer had the same social anxiety, uh, the crushing anxiety that I used to have. And I was just like, no, this, this is something, something changed in me. I don't necessarily know what it was. And I also just looked that there was some early psychedelic, uh, some early scientific research that pointed to possibilities of why these, psychedelic therapies are working and we're just seeing even more evidence to this day. So yeah, I, I just started it. I was, I was still traveling post that trying to figure out what, what was next for me. Cause I'd left my job. Uh, and I literally, you know, formed the website in a small internet cafe in Columbia, the country. And I, I started reaching out just to a lot of veteran buddies that were still in. I was like, Hey, is this crazy? Like what, what, what's up here? And across the board, they're all, you know, a lot of veterans are very much like, Hey, if it works then I don't, I don't care what people think about it. Like give us solutions We're we're needing solutions. Um, and so that's how I started it. And then just along the path, uh, just picked up people here and there. Um, and you know, they all came to this through their own journeys. And that's, that's sort of the beauty of, of what we're doing is I don't need to convince people at all. Um, they experience it oftentimes for themselves and become true believers right afterwards. And that's generally how we picked up a lot of the people just through the organization of I'll bring some people in and be like, here's what we're doing. Come see it for yourself. And then they go through it and you know, it's, it's, it's too much to ignore. And so that's how we, we have it. And as you mentioned, we have a great staff. Uh, and so, you know, a few notable ones, uh, Kate Pate, she's a PhD in neurophysiology and she's been leading our research. Uh, we're, we're, we're partnered with two universities, uh, university of Georgia and university of Colorado Boulder, uh, to do the, some of the first of its kind research on this, uh, Jericho Denman, he's a, a, a ranger, um, pretty high ranking within the regiment and, you know, over 15 combat deployments. Uh, and he got, you know, he's tried every, every therapy under the sun. And this was the first thing that really had an impact on him. Um, and then Jared, uh, Jared Reinhardt's our integration coach, uh, Krista Lahara. She's a, 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 the wife of a buddy and just been doing a phenomenal job on our social media, uh, all sorts of people. And, you know, they all came to us just out of the, the, 
the 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 effectiveness of of what we're doing. Nice. So, what exactly is it that you know to, to quote Office Space? What is it that you would say that you do here? Because <laughs> what I mean is, I, I know ayahuasca ceremonies can't happen in the U.S. What, yeah. What's your guys' role in making this this treatment happen? Yeah, of course. And so that's the, the base, the nuts and bolts of the organization is one, you know, we're, we're just getting the information out there that, um, you know, this is becoming more prominent. This other psychedelics, as you see with cannabis as well, and they're because it's not adopted by the VA or medical institutions, there could be a lot of misinformation and just a lot of confusion. And so on the, on the, you know, the first tier, we're just providing information, uh, just from what we see, how to do it safe, uh, what, what we, what the considerations are, why it might work, what, what we've seen, all that kind of stuff. And just presenting it to a lot of veterans that feel like that there are no more options that they lose that sort of beacon of hope if they go through the VA's protocol. Uh, but then secondly, um, we work to connect uh, veterans that are interested, that we have vetted, that you know it's, it's safe for them to do it. We connect them to centers that do this in a safe way. Uh, so we obviously vet the, the veterans, but then we also make sure that the centers that we work with are aligned with how we think and that they're doing it safely. Um, so through that, we have a, our own, you know, protocol program where let's say some veterans, we, we have the funding to, to send them. We'll get them together. We'll give them information. We do preparation work. We do pre-retreat sort of uh, meetings and, and thought processes, uh, get them all set to go logistics. We provide a lot of financial scholarships uh, to the vets in need. Uh, so help them out financially. And then we organize with the retreat to get them to, to the, to the retreat center. And then on the post side, we do integration work, which is okay. Well, let's say best case scenario, you learned some amazing things and uh, you had some good insights and you have some, some ideas of what you want to pursue post this or how to better your life. How do we hold you accountable? How do we keep you on that track? How do we keep you from, you know, sort of relapsing into negative patterns that you had before? Um, and so it's, it's all this, this process that takes many months. The retreat itself generally takes about a week, but the, the work around it is, is often the most important. Um, and the way that works is because there are countries uh, a lot in South America, Costa Rica, um, that this is legal because it has the indigenous rights and other countries tend to be a little bit more open to these sort of things. And so you can find places there that, you know, it's, they operate uh, completely safely, completely catering to sort of a lot of times like Westerners and we'll work with veterans. And so we're just trying to form that safety apparatus for veterans that are interested in pursuing this to set them up for success as much as possible. Um, and so we mostly deal with ayahuasca, but we've also worked with other psychedelics in the same sort of mindset of, Hey, you know, these are becoming options for veterans. Let's at least set them up for success and give them the information that they deserve. Right. Now I know prior to the ayahuasca ceremony, there's a, uh, really big nutrition piece to it, you know, what not to eat and what to eat and sort of getting your body prepared for the, the ingestion of the, the juice. Um, do you, do you guys help out with that at all? Or is that like, as part of the preparatory or is that something that they'll jump into when they get to the centers? 
It definitely happens at the centers, but we, we want to promote it beforehand. So it's, it's across the board, it's, it's food and just intake in general. Um, and so that's sort of the preparation work because the more you prepare for this and the more you get yourself in the right mindset, the, the more you'll be able to sort of tackle it as it comes, you'll kind of hit the ground running, so to speak. Um, and so on the diet side, it's really just, eating a healthier diet, uh, obviously ayahuasca and other psychedelics are things you ingest. And so sort of the, the, the healthier you are, the more it's going to take to your body. Uh, if people are, you know, to right up to the day, just eating massive cheeseburgers and fried food, it's generally going to be a, a bit rockier of this, uh, of a, of an experience. But if people go in, um, very focused on the diet. So on one side, it, it does tend to interact with the body better, but also it's, it's sort of that discipline. It's getting people back into that sort of structure that they need because oftentimes that's what's lacking. And even in terms of restricting news or social media, especially now, uh, all that kind of stuff gets people really focused on it because what we're trying to do is we're not giving people psychedelic trips just for the sake of having fun or whatever. We are using this as a tool to get past their trauma. And so the more they take it seriously and use that discipline and take that time to like self-reflect and eat a healthy diet as they would in the military, the better they're going to be able to, tr to go into this with the respect that it deserves and uh, be prepared for, for what it is. It is, it can be a very challenging experience. And so it, it's, it's the whole apparatus and that's really what we're trying to get people to, 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 to be in the mind frame for it's, um, it's not a magic pill. It's not going to just instantly take away everything and cure you. It's like I said, before and afterwards, it takes a lot of work. And so part of our vetting process is figuring out the guys that are, uh, willing to put in that work because obviously if we're giving financial scholarships, we want to make sure that we're choosing people that are, are serious. Uh, and so if somebody comes to us and they're like, Oh, I just, I want this to be done with, uh, I, I don't want to do any work, but I, I want to be cured of this, or they just want to go for some sort of recreational purpose, then, you know, we're not going to send them. But if somebody comes to us and they've been trying for years, all sorts of other therapies, and they're willing to put in the time and effort and they show us that they get, they're the ones that get the most out of this. Now, from what I understand now, like the, the ceremony itself is, is a pretty powerful experience. Would you uh, mind either sharing your story or uh, maybe another one that somebody has shared with you of, of what might be expected? Yeah, of course. So, I mean, like, especially if you go with our program or if you go to a typical retreat in, in uh, Latin America, uh, generally it's over a week. Uh, and then people there will have the opportunity to participate in four ceremonies over the course of the week. Um, and this might seem like a lot, but it is sort of a process. Uh, oftentimes, you know, people go in the first ceremony pretty nervous, um, and not really knowing what to expect, especially if they don't have a psychedelic background. So that first ceremony or two is really just kind of getting, you know, your sea legs, trying to figure out what it's all about and get past those nerves and kind of dive in deep, getting past sort of the clutter. And then the, the, the remaining ceremonies, you know, cause oftentimes trauma can be almost a layered sort of thing where you can figure out some surface level stuff, 
but oftentimes you might have to address those things first because before you can get into the really deep stuff or, or stuff that maybe you had as childhood or, or later on. Um, and so sometimes it's that process of like, okay, well, understand this, I have a good insight on this, but maybe I think there's still some more lurking uh, or that I've, I've compartmentalized for too long. Um, so for me, like I said, uh, the, the, the experience was pretty tough, uh, but I think as especially a ranger, I kind of needed the kick in the ass, uh, for me to respect it and kind of take it seriously. Um, and it was just very physical, uh, just a lot of like tremor, not tremors, but like fidgeting. I couldn't sit still. I was just very hot, very uncomfortable. Uh, there is a purging aspect to it. So the, the majority of people end up, uh, puking it out. That's kind of part of the process. Um, and it was just really, it was really tough for me, uh, because I had like a very controlling mind to where I didn't want to be taken. Like I, I wanted to remain in control, you know, and for this whole process, you kind of have to relinquish control and just be at ease with it. Uh, and so I was fighting tooth and nail for it. And eventually it won. I learned through the process of like, you just have to let it go and, and, and allow it to do it. The more you fight against it, it's like a Chinese finger trap. The more your fingers are going to get stuck in it, you know, but that was, that was a lesson I had to learn. And I think that also helped me out in terms of that controlling aspect of the brain that can sometimes be too controlling and, uh, affect parts of your life. Um, for a lot of people in terms of what to expect, the, uh, ceremony itself generally lasts about four hours. Um, you go in, you'll drink, uh, generally within the first hour is when you'll start experiencing psychedelic effects and it, it kind of lives up to what people imagine as psychedelics in terms of a lot of different colors. It can be a lot of geometric shapes. Um, it can stay like that, or it can kind of go into more of a dream state for a lot of people. Uh, it, it is, since it is an organic substance, kind of similar to cannabis, it, it affects everybody uniquely. Uh, so some people will have a lot of visuals. Some people won't have any. Some people have more physical sides of things. Um, some people have just a very mild time. Some people don't even actually uh, experience anything, even, but it can still be doing something, even if they're not going into a psychedelic state. Uh, but the, the benefit for a lot of people on one level is that if they do go into sort of this hallucinatory sort of dreamlike state for a lot of people on a, on a therapy side, it's almost, it allows them to address certain traumas, almost like a enhanced prolonged exposure. But as opposed to the prolonged exposure talk therapy with this, you kind of have a few more tools because you're in this sort of weird reality. And so for a lot of vets that we've worked with, they will see, you know, certain traumas or, or revisit past experiences and either see it from a different perspective or be able to continue on that story that they've been caught in that sort of loop or that self-destructive pattern, or they'll just kind of zoom out from their own life and just see sort of the negative patterns that they've been engaging in with you know, loved ones, uh, spouses, all that kind of stuff. And so from the, the, the visual or hallucinatory side, that's really a, a huge benefit. Um, but beyond that, we're also seeing just there, there does seem to be uh, indication that it's, it's helping on a physical level too. So if people, there, there's evidence that possibly anti-inflammatory uh, benefits and possibly balancing out certain hormones too. So, I mean, that's, that's the interesting thing of what we're seeing. And that's why if you talk to researchers that 
are, are studying these things are it's, it's, they are so excited about it because it's offering so many different possibilities that we haven't seen with any other medications. Now, when you mentioned the researchers, I'm, I'm jumping a little bit ahead. Um, uh, I know on your site, you, you talk about, you know, mainly ayahuasca, but also promoting other uh, psychedelics. And you mentioned it a few, a few minutes ago. So if uh, I, like with a lot of influencers, even, even in the health industry, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, people are talking about microdosing with LSD. And I know LSD is now starting to be considered as a, a form of treatment. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that or, or experiences? Yeah, of course. And, and, um, I definitely recommend, uh, people read if they're interested and they don't have any, uh, basic knowledge to read Michael Pollan's book, how to change your mind. Cause it goes over the history and stuff. And so the interesting thing about a lot of these substances is that they're already doing some great research in the 1950s and they're already showing substances like LSD, uh, were having antidepressant or, uh, relieving depression in people, getting people, uh, changing like addictive patterns, even for alcohol. Um, and because of the drug war and because of cultural shifts, it almost, all that research got suppressed and nobody was really able to talk about it. Um, and so now, yeah, LSD is coming back. Psilocybin is definitely in, in, in vogue, so to speak as well. Um, and they all work on, on similar sort of levels to, to different degrees. Um, and microdosing is becoming pretty popular LSD or psilocybin. Um, a lot of people are preferring the psilocybin thing cause it's, it's organic, but for people that don't know, microdosing is taking a, a sub perceptible amount of these substances. So you're not going into a psychedelic state, but you are in taking it and it can have different effects. So for some people it can be sort of a stimulant for some people, it can be a relaxer a little bit. Some people it really boost uh, intellectual capacity and creativity. Um, and there also seems to be neurogenic, uh, neurogenesis properties of these, which is also fascinating. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, they, across the board, there's a, a variety of psychedelics and they all work pretty similarly, but they all have their own sort of personality. And I, I do think they will offer a variety of tools depending on the individual and the trauma that we're, we're, we're dealing with. So one of the, the reason I bring that up, one of the things, uh, as I was telling you beforehand, uh, for those that heard the, the previous show I did with Mike Burns, we had a really nice long after talk after we had stopped recording. And I wish I had gotten that on tape, but um, <clears throat> he had had experience with ayahuasca, but not LSD. Yeah. I, on the other hand, <laughs> back in when I was a teenager, I had some experience with LSD but not ayahuasca. So we were sort of comparing notes, but one of the things that I'm, I'm curious about is I know that uh, because the ayahuasca is a ceremony and you sort of have like the spiritual guide. Um, if somebody was to microdose LSD, at least as far as you know, like from my experience, if you, you took some LSD, you know, we go put on some Grateful Dead or some Pink Floyd and just kind of kick back and let it take over. You know, it was going to do what it was going to do. Whereas I think if you have a guide or some sort of spiritual leader, um, they, they kind of keep you on whatever path it is that you're trying to go down. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course it does. And that's, I don't know if there's a difference between ayahuasca and LSD in that respect, where is one easier to control than the other? Or um, It's, 
Yeah, I mean, the the heart, the thing. One of the reasons I, I tend to prefer ayahuasca uh, is exactly what what you're saying. Is especially with ayahuasca, the ceremony, but also that sort of purging that physical side of it. It it really prevents it from being any sort of recreational. Whereas with LSD, or you're also seeing that with like cannabis, where both can be phenomenally beneficial on a therapeutic side, but they can also fall into the recreational and over abuse side of it as well. When what you're seeing with um, like the plant-based sort of psychedelics like ayahuasca, like psilocybin is because it's a plant and you have to ingest it. There's that natural uh, restriction on how much you can ingest because you'll just puke it up. Whereas LSD, because it's synthesized, it doesn't necessarily have that. And so, you know, I'd just be more cautious with LSD because of that nature. Whereas it's, it would be absolutely extremely hard. You would have to be so committed to ingest too much ayahuasca, but you're just going to puke it out. There is, there has never been an instance where people, um, like overdose on, on these substances. But I do think that as with anything, um, too much is, it's all about moderation. It's all about using things for specific purposes and not over consuming. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I do, I do like sort of the ayahuasca side of things, but to your other point, I think no matter what, uh, people should have a guide or what they call sitters around these kind of things, because th- when you, when you ingest these sort of things, the psychedelic world can be very hard to interpret. Um, and it can, as we said, it can go into the recreational side. So if you don't have somebody there that that's knowing what they're doing, then you're probably most likely not going to get as much out of it as you can. Um, and then also, like what you always hear the sort of the bad rep around psychedelics like LSD and stuff like that is the bad trip. And that is a product of set and setting, but also your intention of going in. So, you know, a lot of people will just take it without any consideration and they might be around loud music or they might be around like somebody that's freaking out. And then that just spreads to everybody else and you have to wait till it's over. But if you're already in that high intense state, whereas when you have a ceremony and you have an experienced person through ayahuasca, it's called a a shaman or a curadero. Uh, you know, if somebody's having that super anxious and they're like starting to freak out, there's somebody there that can calm them down and help them move past it. And then that's just sort of a point, a learning point. Uh, but also the, the, like with our program, there, we don't necessarily believe in bad trips, especially if you have a controlled environment. It's people will face hard things. They might face certain traumas. And if they just walk away of like, Oh, I don't want to see that again. Then they're not getting the benefit of what the psychedelic is offering, you know, going through those, you are going to have to face some hard things in order to move past it. You know, the reason why it's affecting your life so much is because it is this sort of harmful element in your body. And so it, it's, it makes sense that it might be hard, but if you treat it as something that you have to overcome, like an obstacle, as opposed to just another thing traumatizing you, then it allows you to move past it. And so it's really a mentality and having the understanding and tools of how to deal with a psychedelic experience that really makes it beneficial. I've come across a lot of people, even with ayahuasca, that kind of just dive into it without any sort of guidance or, or, or anything like that. And it can still be beneficial, but there's also a lot of them that kind of come away from it either a little bit shell shocked or just like kind of like a little bit 
over like sensitive of like not really knowing what just happened. They don't really have the interpretation and that's not ideal because it's, it's, you know, it's like using like, I guess, um, a fire hose without knowing how to do it. You know, if you just turn on a fire hose full blast, it's going to, you know, maybe you'll get a handle of it, but maybe it's going to like fling you all over, you know? Well, and I was, I was wondering, it's a, it's a good point. I'm glad you brought that up when we were talking about the, the potential for hallucinogen, hallucinogenic effects. Um, and, and I was going to build this up, but I, I forgot what I was going to say, but anyway, I'll just get to the point understanding like everybody's experience is going to be different. So as I'm saying this, I I don't want to try to blanket everything and give the audience any indication of what one person experiences is what everybody's going to experience. That being said, uh, when we talk about those, those obstacles and things like that, um, is it safe to say that there may be a chance for someone who faced a trauma, should they enter into that psychedelic world, they may find themselves reliving that trauma and then you know from a ceremonial perspective what kind of uh control measures are in place to you know basically keep the person from freaking out yeah um and yeah to your point everybody's experience is different and you know if people are interested i tell them to try to shy away from really listening to too many testimonials it's fine if they listen to a couple but we don't want people to go into it uh, with the expectation of like, Oh, that guy had a great one and he did this crazy stuff. And I want that exact kind of thing. This, it's not how it works. It's not like a, it's not a Tylenol. So it's not just going to do a specific thing, but it's also not a made to order kind of aspect. And so one of the things we, we tend to preach is, uh, expectations versus intentions. You shouldn't go into this with expectations because, you know, you might deal with trauma that you didn't know you had or, or, or you, not necessarily the trauma you want or the, the issues you want, but it's also going to appear to you in, in its own way. It's going to interact with you in a very unique way. So if you go in there like expecting one thing that you saw on TV or one thing that you have stuck in your mind, then that, that builds you up to being disappointed and then that takes away from it. But if you go in there with intentions, which are more of, hey, I've been having a lot of anxiety or I've been been horrible in relationships. I really want to dive into and figure out the root causes of these things. I want to explore my emotional capacity more. That's the way to approach these sort of things. It's an open-ended, this is where I would like to focus, but I'm open to wherever it takes me and, and be ex- and explore that uh, dynamic of it. Um, my soundbite right there in intentions, not expectations. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, in terms of, yeah, I mean, that's, that's why, uh, that's what I was saying with part of the vetting, uh, whether you have a, a sitter, if you're, if you're doing, you know, psilocybin or LSD, or you're going to an ayahuasca retreat or a Ibogaine retreat, you want to go to places that know what they're doing. And so through the traditional shaman practice, you know, these people have been working with people and the, the, the plants for, decades. Um, but unfortunately now, because it's getting more popular, you're just getting people that, you know, go to the Amazon, do a a crash course for six months and come back and call themselves shaman. You know, that's, that's part of what we are trying to do is just vet the, the retreats and the, the people that, that we work with to make sure that they, they know how to handle worst case scenarios. Um, and so, you know, through what I've seen and this, again, this is also determining who goes there, that they're ready for this and that they have that right mentality. Uh, I've, I've, 
I've, I've had some vets see, have some very trying experiences, some, you know, possibly some of the hardest things they've ever had to counter, but having the, the shaman or the guide there and, and a good center, it allows them to push through and, and keeps them calm. Uh, they, through the, the shaman practice and their belief, uh, they believe that they're like guiding energy and, and, and uh, helping them pass the negative energy. Um, through, you know, it's to whatever people believe, but there's also just having that grounding, making sure that people know that even if it's feeling hard, that's part of the process and that they, they're going to be there. They're going to survive it. They're going to get through it. And just bringing people back to that sort of basic core and, and back to the, you know, their, their center, uh, helps them move past the sort of freak out. The freak out only gets worse. Like I said, if you don't have a controlled environment and then there's other people, other stimulus that, that are coming against you. Uh, but from all the veterans we've worked with, there's, there's never been a situation where the, the experience traumatized them more. It's, it's always been something that they move past and it's really how, like I said, how they, they tackle it. Right. Cool. So speaking of vetting, uh, how do you, uh, I'm, I'm assuming that like some of the centers that you worked with, you guys have established relationships, but if you're going to vet somebody new or just do like a revet, you know, what, what do you look for in a center before you enter a partnership with them or, or what standards do you make sure they keep up? Yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, I or somebody on our team will have to go there and at least maybe not go into like a full fledged ceremony, but at least see how they, they operate ceremonies and see how it's all going. And you can tell a lot of things right away about how they do that. You, you, uh, we, we do the, the baseline things of what you would expect. So you go there, make sure the facilities are good, make sure that they're comfortable with ha- handling like groups of vets. Some places might not be, especially if it's a bigger group. Um, you want to see sort of if their ethos align, there's a lot of retreats, like I said, because it's becoming more popular and you can kind of tell that it's really more of a tourist attraction and catering to, to certain individuals and just trying to get money as opposed to really trying to heal and, and do a therapeutic side. So, you know, try to suss out that of where the owners are coming from, what the purpose is, what the end goal is. Uh, if they're just running a business, then that might not be the, the best alignment. Um, and then just also how they operate. Like uh, we were all about uh, continue on the ceremony and continue on the, the culture and, and informing people. And we really want to respect because we are using this, this native sort of thing. So we want that to have that respect dynamic. Um, and then, you know, just like safety protocols, like generally, like I said, it is, it is very safe. Uh, but you never know if somebody has a pre-existing health condition, which we vet for, but you know, sometimes no matter what, you can, there, there's always the the risk of, of, of something. Um, and so what, what, what are their procedures for the emergency case, the, the very rare case? So you just going through all that and just listening to where they're coming from and their track records and all that kind of stuff, you can really suss it out. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's, that's essentially it. The, the big part is, you know, the same thing with, with how we vet veterans and people is you have to have that one-to-one interna- interaction. Like you have to go there, you have to meet the people, you have to talk to them and see where they're coming from and see what their hopes and expectations are. Gotcha. Have you guys worked with uh, any first responders at all? Uh, once, once, 
ones that are veterans, uh, we, we do hope to incorporate them because there have been outreach and we actually just formed a branch in the UK. And since the, the UK has a smaller veteran population, they're going to be uh, starting off working with uh, first responders for the UK. Oh. Uh, in America, at this point, unfortunately, the, the veteran crisis is so severe that we already have our hands full just dealing with a veteran population. Um, you know, we hope to expand to this point where we have enough funding to help even more like first responders. But at this point, uh, we're just not there. Uh, you know, our, our waiting list is already huge just because, you know, we're, we're getting the same story over and over again. I try to go through the VA. Uh, I tried all this. It didn't work or it, it only uh, worked on a, on a minor level. And I, I need, I need something like I'm at that point where I need to figure something else out. And there's just, it's just a, a an issue that's not being addressed. Unfortunately. To, to your knowledge is participating in a ceremony. I mean, obviously this isn't something that somebody on active duty could do, but uh, maybe a veteran who's a first responder or a veteran who is now maybe a DOD contractor or something like that. Is this something that could come back and, bite them in the butt, uh, you know, during a clearance review or, or if they have a job where, you know, a public trust job or something like that. Yeah. I, I, I've, we've, we've worked with, with people that have clearances. We've actually worked with some active duty. Those tend to be, we have to keep it on the, the down low, the, the super anonymous. And so we, we have worked with that. It's, it's more difficult. And at the end of the day, that's it's available. What's that? It's pretty impressive that you're able to do that. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, there, there's, we're, we're trying to just help suffering people, you know? Um, I, I wouldn't imagine it's, it's a, if somebody's a first responder, I wouldn't imagine it would be an issue in terms of, you know, cause it's nobody's business if you're doing it legally in a, a different country, unless they like outwardly tell that to their, their profession, maybe they, they might have issue, but in terms of the substances they're they're not going to stay in your system and they're not going to uh, trigger like a drug test or anything like that. Uh, unfortunately, you know, just the nature of it with the people that with security clearance, then yeah, I mean, there is a risk. Uh, we, we still work with them, but they have to know that that is the risk. Sure. Uh, and if they're comfortable with doing that and you know, what, what's unfortunately, for a lot of people, it's that situation of you have to balance your mental and, and general health with your financial health. And that's a horrible spot to be in. Uh, but for because a lot of the people that work with with government organizations or uh, have clearance, they have to take uh, polygraphs. And so that's really the, the main thing that would hem them up or, or answering on on an application and, and not lying. And so, you know, if they're comfortable going through that and having done this, then, you know, that's 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 They have to make that choice. But that that can be a risk. OK, now, without uh, I think I just have two more questions for you. Um, without going down the rabbit hole of, of the VA and drug crisis, which is a whole nother crisis. Have you guys, uh, have you seen or experienced uh, any veterans coming off of their meds after uh, doing an ayahuasca ceremony? Yeah, it's not, it's, it's not a hundred percent. But so 
part of the vetting process is that if they are on SSRIs and some other medications, they have to be able to come off of those safely uh, about a month or two before the retreat because it can interact negatively with um, ayahuasca in particular and some other psychedelics as well. And so they have to have like a, a course to do that with, you know, like a professional, but some a lot are able to do that, get off of them in in a timely manner beforehand. And, um, I won't say a hundred percent, but the vast majority who were on medications have stayed off of them, uh, post, uh, the ayahuasca retreat. And even, even those that might have had to go back on one or two of them, that it was in a much less dose and, uh, they had just much more control over it. Uh, we, we did, we did sort of an internal, survey of the the vets we we have sent uh we did that last year just uh you know a few a few metrics of you know how are you what you know what would you say your anxiety has increased uh decreased all this other kind of stuff and there's a question of would you say that your life is significantly better post uh going through our program and across the board, 100% said yes. And so, you know, on, on the, the the other scales, you know, some people's anxiety might have increased a little bit, but not too much. Other people, the depression completely went away. So some of those were, uh, they're all positive, but, you know, individually it can, it can vary. But just seeing that 100% of the people say that their life is better uh, is you know, it's, it's just more evidence and more, uh, morale to keep pushing forward. Nice. And then, uh, as far as you had mentioned, you, you guys have a pretty long waiting list. What, what kind of advice or, or guidance can you give to people that can't get out of the country yet and get into a ceremony? Yeah. I mean, unfortunately right now with COVID we're, we're on operational hold, but you know, we'll, we'll kick it back up once, once we're able to do some international travel and people can, can get back on. And yeah, we do have a very long waiting list. And so people just need to go into that. I still recommend filling out the application, uh, but you just need to be patient. Um, and you know, I, I, part of, part of our application process is you, you give us, time and, and actually fill it out to its fullest. If you just give us one word answers, especially on the longer questions, if you, if you're not willing to invest the time in that, why would we invest time and money in, in this person? So try to give us as long answers as possible. Even though the, the waiting list is long, it's not necessarily a first come first serve sort of situation. Uh, generally the way we operate is when we are able to, and we have the funds to organize a group, uh, then we will, reach out to our waiting list and those that can make the dates and that can make whatever parameters that we, we set for, you know, they respond to us. And then the ones that respond, then we'll do an assessment. So obviously timed how long they've been on the waiting list does play a factor, but there's other factors that, that, that go in there. So, you know, there have been cases of people, uh, being able to jump it just because they're available last minute or if they were able to fill a spot and stuff like that. But you just have to be, you know, we're, we're doing our best. We're all our teams volunteer and, you know, we're working almost full-time jobs just trying to get this going forward. So try to work with us the best possible. Uh, the best way too that people can really help us out and can jump the line as well is the more that they are able to contribute to their own uh, trip, uh, the, the journey and all that kind of stuff, the, the easier it is for us to send them. So 
you know, we've had people that were able to pay for the whole thing. They just wanted our program and our guidance. And so obviously if they're able to pay for it, then it's easier for us to, to send them. Uh, the trips, uh, all, all things covered generally cost about 4,000, which I know is, is a lot, but it is also the equivalent of doing years and years and years of therapy for many. So, I mean, in the long run, it is worth it. I know that can be a pretty big price tag. Um, and it's, it's not across the board, but we generally try to have veterans at least pay for their own flight. That way they, they're engaged. They have some sort of skin in the game. Uh, we, we've covered 100% for, for some vets, but we really prefer that they contribute something to it. Okay. Now, and on your, uh, how, how can you help or how can you get involved tab on your website? You know, one of the things is trying to get the message out there of what you guys are doing and, and that so that's that's kind of what I'm trying to do here. But what what else do you guys need? What what uh, how can anyone who's interested or you know want to see where you guys how you can take it to the next level? What can everybody else do to help? Yeah, and uh, you know I, I very much thank you for giving us a platform and you know help spread the word. Uh, that's really what we're trying to do. Of just everybody has their own micro community and. If, if you can just talk about this, at least have the discussion and at least have people know it's there, then that's, that's beneficial for everybody. Um, you know, we, we're a registered nonprofit in the U S uh, soon to be registered in the UK too. So people in either, either spots, we rely a hundred percent on donations, uh, myself and all, all the staff, you know, we, we don't get any, uh, not a cent from this. It all goes directly towards facilitating veterans going from there. So, you know, donations are always appreciated and, and, and welcome. And that's really what empowers us to send more vets. So if you are able financially, even, you know, $10, $1, it, it's really helpful. And you can go to the website, heroicheartsproject.org. There's a donate uh, tab there. We have a Patreon, but people who may not be able to donate financially, we're also starting an ambassador program. So for people that want to be involved, veterans or civilians that, you know, donate time or they have an expertise that they could help us out with. Uh, there's like a short application there um, and they can fill that out. And so we're really trying to jumpstart this ambassador program. And that is essentially empowering people in their own area uh, to uh, help out veterans there. So, you know, like, let's say you're in New York and you're in, in the ambassador program. So help us get together a group of veterans there, help us find local funding and sourcing and build these uh, self-supporting uh, communities to get these veterans the help. And then when they get, when they go as a group from that local community, they come back and just expand it from there. So that's, that's what we're attempting. And, you know, for anybody that has questions or wants to learn more, you can reach out to us there or, or just definitely to go to the website. There's a lot of great information on that. Awesome. Well, Jesse, I really appreciate you taking the time on a Friday to come on a show and talk with us. Um, I wish you guys the best of luck pushing forward. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to following your, your activities and your progress. Um, if you want, uh, or I'll shoot you an email, or if you want to shoot me an email with your UK contacts, you know, I, I would like to help them out as much as I can as well. Um, especially yeah, definitely. Just getting up and running. Um, yeah, it's, it's been a great talk. I mean, uh, one of the things I like talking the different people about the same subject is because you always get something new. Um, yeah. I, I think two of the things that I really took away from this was the intention, not expectation. And, uh, you know, the, 
the effect that, that the medicine can have on SSRIs, knowing how many people are using those. It's so commonplace. Like I didn't even think about that until yeah. you said it. So I think that's a good piece of gouge right there. Um, so again, I thank you for coming on and, uh, we'll, we'll see you guys in the future. Yeah, for sure. And again, thanks for the platform and, uh, definitely a pleasure to talk to you. You've reached the end of another episode of the wellness for vets podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, you can subscribe on iTunes, anchor FM and Google podcast. You can also head over to our website, wellnessforvets.info to gain access to show notes, resources, and ways to connect with me on social media. I'd also appreciate a rating on iTunes or simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us reach more people. Until next time, thank you.